participator in what the Lord is doing. Amen. I don't want to be a spectator. Amen. You can be seated if you want to. I, um, I, I lived some time ago, my, my family and I, we lived for four years thereabouts in, uh, in or around Salt Lake City, Utah. Our job had us there, and so we lived there, worked with the church there, and that's been over 20 years ago. And um, then, uh, of course, in, in Salt Lake City, there's a NBA basketball team, and uh, then tickets were cheap, um, or at least they were affordable there. I think we paid 20 or 30 bucks for a ticket to go to a game, and it was, it was cheap. I know, I know you can't do that anymore, um, but uh, we, we would go to games, and I, I grew up playing basketball. I love playing basketball, and, and uh, I remember watching some of those games. I, I was privileged. I got to see Michael Jordan play there. I uh, saw a bunch of names that some of you may know or all you young people probably wouldn't know of them, but anyway. Uh, but got to see some people play basketball there. And I remember, I don't know, probably in my four years there, I probably went to eight to ten different games because it was so inexpensive and, and it was close. It was ten minutes from my house. And, and uh, I, I remember, I know it was silly, but I had these thoughts like, man, I'd love to be out there. Right? I, I mean, I enjoyed watching. But there was a part of me that the basketball player part of me, right? If you're a basketball player, you just play back. And I had no, I know had no delusions that I thought I could be out there with those guys. You understand? Don't misunderstand me there. But there was a part of me that, man, I was like, man, what would it be like to be? There was something in me that thought I'd love to be participating versus just watching. Anybody relate to that type of feeling where you, you've been in a situation or something, you're like, man, let me, maybe you're watching, maybe not basketball, but you're watching something taking place and you're doing everything you can to just bite your tongue or hold still because you just want to dive in and get involved. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Watching somebody do something, you're like, man, let me help you. And you're. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, okay. I feel like the, you know, when we come into the house of the Lord, it's important that we come with the mind. I want to be participating in what the Lord is doing. I don't mean participating in some religious routine. God forbid. But participating in what he's doing. And so when we open our spirit in prayer and we're reaching out to him, we're saying, God, I want to participate in what your spirit is wanting to do in this service. I want to be a part. I want to be in fellowship. I want to flow with you and, and what you're wanting to accomplish with me, in me, through me. I want to be a part. Amen? And James said it this way. I don't want to just be a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer. I want to participate in the doing. Amen? I don't want to be a hearer and not a doer. James said, if I'm a hearer but not a doer, I'm like a person that went and looked in the mirror and I saw myself and I saw some things that 
because of the mirror and the reflection that I saw there, the things the Lord allowed me to see, I saw them. I saw some things that should happen that I should do, changes I should make, whatever. I saw that. And then I turned and walked away and I did nothing. Even though I just saw it. He said, that's what it's like if I'm a hearer of the word of God, but I'm not a doer. Amen. I want to be a doer of the things that he instructs me in. Amen. Praise God. We're glad to have you here tonight. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. If you're a guest, welcome. I know we've got many that participate in the Bible study with the Rodriguez. We're thrilled that you all are here. We look forward to baptizing Stephanie a little bit here in a few minutes. I want to share something from the Lord tonight that he's put into my heart. If uh, you'll go with me uh, to the book of... I want to start here. Let's go to the book of Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah 54 and verse number 5. If you study the scripture, you can look at Isaiah 53. It's one of the most, um, most known chapters in Isaiah. Isaiah 53, of course, is prophetic of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, It's where we get the verse, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Of course, it's prophetic of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ coming. Then we go into chapter 54, and 54 begins to bring promises to us. But I want us to look at verse number 5, what the Lord is saying through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 54, verse 5. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. And then turn over with me to the book of Jeremiah. It's the very next book after Isaiah. If you're on your phone, you've got to do more work than if you had your Bible. But just... Turn over to the book of Isaiah or scroll over there or to Jeremiah, chapter number 31. Jeremiah 31. When you have time, you should read that whole chapter. It's one of the most beautiful chapters in Jeremiah. Precious and beautiful. And the Lord is speaking here. And I'm I want to read verse 3, and then we're going to jump from 3 all the way to 31, okay? We're not going to read all those verses. We're going to read 3 and then go to 31. Jeremiah 31 and 3 says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Sounds like a husband, doesn't it? Or it sounds like how a husband should be anyway. Maybe I should say it that way. It sounds like the way a husband should be, right? We just read in Isaiah, Thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name. I've loved thee with an everlasting love. This is the Lord talking. Hear this. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. 
skip down to verse 31. You can read all those other verses another time. It is a beautiful passage of Scripture. Verse 31 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. Everybody say a new covenant. A new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So he says, this is going to be different than the one I made when I made a covenant with them when they were in bondage in Egypt and the Passover took place and I brought them out. I took them by the hand using Moses and led them out. He said, this covenant's going to be different. It's not going to be according to that one. Which my covenant they break. By the way, that covenant, they broke it. He didn't, they did, the children of Israel. Although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. We don't talk about this relationship between God and people very often. We use father a lot. But he's identified himself in Isaiah, and here in Jeremiah, he talks about a covenant he made with Israel. And the covenant that he made was one where he was a husband to them. It was a marriage covenant. Could I say it that way? Did he break it? No, but who broke it? They did. The people broke the covenant with him. So the bride broke the covenant. Can we say it that way? The wife. Israel was the wife. And so he, as a husband, could have said, I'll go get a new people. But remember, loving kindness, I've drawn you to me. I've loved you with an everlasting love. That's why we read that verse, so we'd understand the context that he's speaking here. Even when they broke that, he still has this everlasting love because his word can't lie. And so if he said at the beginning of this chapter where we were reading, I've loved you with an everlasting love, even after they broke the covenant with he as their husband, he still loved them with an everlasting love, and he still desired to draw them. This is the heart of God toward us. But Notice it is in the past tense, although I was a husband to them. He wasn't ready to stop, but they were ready to stop him being that or having to be. Verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. This is the new covenant. He's prophesying it through Jeremiah. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law. Everybody say the law. I'll put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. Where was the law written before? Stone, right? Tablets of stone. We know that story on, on the mount. The Lord wrote on tables of stone, gave the law to Moses. Right? And so here we're reading where the Lord says, they broke that covenant. When I brought them out of Egypt, that was with Moses. I gave them a covenant. I made one with them, but they broke it. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to make a new covenant with them. And with this new covenant, in those days, I'm going to, instead of giving them law that's on stone, I'm going to take the law and I'm going to put it inside of them. And when I put the law inside of them, it's not going to be written on stone. I'm going to write it in their hearts. 
And when I write this law in their hearts, I'm going to be their God and they're going to be my people. Verse 34, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother. When he's saying they're going to teach no more, he said they're not going to continue to teach the law any longer. We're not going to teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. See, there were some that knew the law but didn't know him. But he said, under this new covenant, when I put the law in your heart, and I write it on your heart, no longer on stone, but I put it in the inward parts and I write on your heart, you're going to know me if my law is inside of you. If I've written on your heart, there's not going to be some that have it on their heart that don't know me. If it's written on your heart, you're going to know me. This is going to be about a relationship, not about a rule following. This is what he was doing. He was prophesying to Israel. I'm moving from a rule following the law relationship to a new covenant that is built on love. The love that I have for you that is everlasting and I'm drawing you to myself and so because you broke the covenant that I gave that was following rules that was supposed to bring you to me I'm going to write a new covenant I'm going to write it on your heart and I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people and you'll teach and you're going to know me from the least of them this isn't going to be some class system like the high priest and and then the Levites and No, you're going to know me from the least even to the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? All right. Now turn with me to the book of Romans. Chapter number seven. You can just hold your hand there. We know the Lord gave the law to Israel as a means of bringing them into relationship with him. When he gave that to Moses, the law wasn't meant to be this hard set of rules to follow. The law was meant to be instruction for their life that as they begin to do it they did it because they loved him because he was their God and so because he was their God they begin to follow his law because they loved him that was his plan but they proved they didn't love him because they broke the covenant and they tried to fulfill the law based on rules doing right versus doing wrong, rather than a motive of love of God. Does that make sense? This is what happened. That wasn't God's plan, but that's what took place. They began, And they were so convinced that they could be in right relationship and accepted by God, that if they followed all the rules, He would accept them, that they even begin to add a few of their own. Started doing something. I mean, you get into the New Testament, you start looking, they're misunderstanding even the law that he gave them. They sort of put their own spin and their own interpretation on it. And Jesus Christ is there, God in the flesh, 
is there standing with them, talking with them about the law, trying to convince them of what it really meant, and they're arguing with him, and they're so blind, even though they know the law, they don't recognize the one that gave them the law is in the flesh in front of them. Because they've gotten so good at following rules. Jesus made this statement in his earthly ministry about the commandments. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know what man did with that? Man said, if I keep his commandments, he'll love me. But that's a lie. That's a lie. Because his love for you and I is not based on what we do. Now, if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. But when we twist it, and this is this is what the enemy does. He's subtle and he's deceitful. And so he takes what God said. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And he twists it in our mind and says, if you keep his commandments, then he'll love you. Well, the word of God has told us, I have loved you with an everlasting love. We can read in one passage of scripture. How do we know that he loves us? The scripture is very clear. God commendeth or shows forth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners. That doesn't sound like people that are following the law, does it? He shows his love to us that while we were still sinners, he died for us. In other words, you weren't keeping any of the law, but I loved you so much that even while you were keeping none of the law, I wanted to express my love to you because my love for you was not based on what you did. It's based on the fact that I created you and therefore I love you as only a father can love his son. That's what he wanted when he gave them the law, but they made it about rules rather than relationship. And so he introduces all that stuff we read in Jeremiah about I'm going to bring a new covenant. And the new covenant, I'm going to... I'm done trying to get it on a piece of stone or on scrolls that you can go read and go, okay, do this, don't do this, do this. No, I'm taking this and now I'm reaching inside of your spirit and I'm going to write it on your heart and you're going to know me the way I want you to know me when I do that. Okay? We good? I know that's a lot of foundation, but this is important. Romans chapter 7. Verse number one. Let's just start right there. Romans 7 and verse 1. Know ye not or don't you know, brethren? For I speak to them that know the law. Ah, okay. He's talking to people that know the law. How that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Okay, well, we're supposed to have a new covenant, but the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Let's read further. Watch what the writer of Romans, Paul, says. For the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. 
What did the Lord say? He was our husband. When he made a covenant, he said, I was a husband to them. Remember that? This is important. A husband is a woman is bound, which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she's loosed from the law of the husband. Okay. Verse three. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, watch what the scripture says. She is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law. Oh, hold on a minute. How do we become dead to the law? Where well, we just read it. The only way to be dead to the law is if the husband's dead. Who's the husband? Right, the Lord, God. And now the writer of Romans is telling us, you are become dead to the law. Well, when did the Lord God, our maker, our husband, die? Ah, there's the answer, right? You are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. This is why we know. Another scripture that tells us and shows us why we know. The Lord Jesus Christ was not the second person in a Godhead. The Lord Jesus Christ was the one true living God who came and robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so it was then that the Lord Jesus Christ died. His body died. That became, if you will, that fulfilled the dying of the first husband. So that you are no longer bound to the law. That doesn't excite you yet, but it excites me. And you'll understand why in a minute. I'm containing my excitement. We're not bound to the law anymore. How many of you ever talked back to your parents? Come on, let's be honest. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. If you've ever talked back to your parents. All right. Yep, yep, yep. According to the law. If you and I talk back as children to our parents, we were supposed to be stoned. Anybody thankful we're not subject to the law anymore? Sister Sierra threw her hand up. Praise God. The law was pretty clear about some things. Rules. Don't do this, do that. But because the husband, the first husband died through the body of Christ... We're no longer bound to the law. We're dead to the law. Watch this. Why? Now that wasn't just so we could be free from the law. That was served another purpose too. We got to keep reading the scripture. Oh no, go back. Sorry. You, so you're dead to the law by the body of Christ. That you should be married to another. Ah. His intention wasn't to be dead to the law but never remarry. He wanted us to get married to another. Well, who are we supposed to be married to? Even to him 
who is raised from the dead. Who is that? Jesus Christ. That we, why should we be married to Jesus Christ? That we should bring forth fruit unto God. Dead to the law because of the death of the husband. But married again to the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can produce fruit unto God. I'm so thankful he died. I'm so thankful he died. Now, let's keep going. Verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, or the actions, the things we did that were sin, which were by the law, they worked in our members to bring forth fruit, not unto God, but unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So when we become married to Christ, we no longer are living after the flesh. Here's the problem. If we're still walking under the law, then we're doing that in our flesh. We're doing that in our flesh. That's not the design of God. The design of God is that we would be married to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason why he calls the church his bride. And when he comes back for his church, he is coming for a bride. Who has made herself ready, the scripture says. And so it is that we should serve. Who are we supposed to serve? Our husband. And how are we supposed to serve him? By the law. No. We're supposed to serve him in newness of spirit. And not in the oldness of the letter. Now, you say, are you just throwing out the law? Of course not. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay. I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. Does that make sense? All right. We're going to read fast now. Verse 8. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, it wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. What in the world is he talking about? He said, I was doing fine. I wasn't accountable for anything, but then the law came. And the law told me what was right and what was wrong according to God. And then all of a sudden, me living my own way. It wasn't life. It was going to be death to me because the law showed me what was right and wrong. And so the law, when it was revealed, became death to me. As long as there was no law, do whatever I want. But now the law shows. And the law, we know it's good. Verse 11, for sin, taking occasion by the law or the commandment, deceived me and by it it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death to me? God forbid. 
But sin, that it might appear sin, works death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Watch verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. Hold on, I thought the letter of the law killed. We know that the law is spiritual. So what's the problem? I'm the problem. Why am I the problem? Because left to myself, I'm carnal. Flesh is the problem. I'm carnal. I'm sold under sin. The issue isn't the law. The issue is my carnal nature. The issue is my flesh. I know the law is good. How do I know the law is good? Well, how many of you know you should not steal? How many of you know you should not lie? Guess where that comes from? The law. How many know it's good not to steal? How many know it's good not to lie? Right. How many of you have ever stolen something? Sorry. Just being honest. Not recently. How many have ever lied? Okay. So the law, we know the law is good. We know it's good not to steal. We know it's good not to lie. Why do we know that's good? Because of the law. So we know the law is good. It reveals... But because the law is good, it shows me I'm not. Does that make sense? That's what the writer said in all that. I know the law is good. It's holy. It's spiritual. But I'm carnal. And so the law is good, but it proves to me I'm not. But if I'm living under the law, you know what I try to do? And you know what you try to do? We try to be good. Anybody ever try to be good? Okay, if I do this, I don't lie, I don't steal, I don't chill. Whatever, you know what I meant. <laughs> Say that again real fast three times. I don't lie, I don't cheat, I don't steal. Right? I don't, I don't do those things. I don't, you know, don't do this. I don't kill. I don't, I don't, okay, I do good, do good, do good, do good. And so if I do good enough, then God will accept me and love me. And that's deception. That's living under the law. Oh, if I do good enough, he'll accept me. And see, the enemy uses that against us because the enemy says, you've done too much wrong. He'll never accept you. The enemy uses the law because the law is the old covenant. But the way to the Father is through Christ, the Scripture tells us. And so he made a new covenant the husband died so that we were no longer bound to the law. So that we could be married to Christ. And now we would serve in newness of spirit. This is the design of God because his love towards you and I is everlasting. I don't even know what verse we're on. 15. Watch, this is important. 
We're all going to relate to this. Are we relating to this? Anybody relate to this stuff? Okay, it's getting ready to get really close to where we are now, okay? Aren't you thankful this room is full of humans? Amen, every one of us. All right. Verse 15. This is the Apostle Paul writing. So in case you think, man, I'm never going to be so spiritual. Well, this is a, a man that wrote half of the New Testament that evangelized probably the greatest missionary that ever lived. And listen what he has to say, because we can see ourselves in this. Verse 15. And this can get a little tongue twister, so we're going to walk through what he's really saying here. For that which I do, I allow not. What does that mean? What he's saying is, what I want to do, I don't allow myself to do it. That which I do, I allow not. For what I would, or what I would do, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Can anybody relate to that? Do you hear what he's saying? I don't, what I don't want to do, I end up doing. Has anybody ever been like, okay, I'm not going to do that ever again. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to do it again. And then you've done it? Just me. Thank you, Lee. This is what he's saying. Why do I know I shouldn't do that? Because the law. I've learned some things about what I should and shouldn't do. And the law taught me those things. The law helped me know that. And so what I don't want to do, I still do it. And what I, what I hate, the thing, that's what I do. And what I want to do, okay, I'm going to do it. And then I don't do it. Anybody else deal with that frustration in your life along the journey? Yeah. This is what he's talking about. And so what is that battle? It's a result of the law versus allowing being married to Christ and serving Him in newness of spirit. Why is that struggle? Because I'm living in my flesh. And we read that in verse 14. The law is spiritual, but I am carnal. So see, we can all relate to Apostle Paul. He was as human as we are. So verse 16, he didn't stop there. If then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law that it's good. All he said was, if I do what I didn't want to do, the only reason I knew I didn't want to do it was because of the law. And so I'm consenting when I do what I don't want to do that the law is good. I don't want to steal, but I stole. The law told me not. I'm consenting the law's good, and I'm not. What he's saying is, the law's showing me the law's not the issue. The issue is something with me that's got to change. Does that make sense? Verse 17. Now then. Now this sounds a little crazy in the old King James here. He says, now then, it's no more I that do it. Oh, good. Now he just... Relieved himself of all responsibility, right? No. He's acknowledging something here. He said, now then it's no more I that do it, but sin. Where's the sin? It dwells in me. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, when this happens, what I have to acknowledge is when I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I should do, I'm acknowledging the law is good, but it's not just me as an individual doing it. I have to acknowledge that that means there's sin in me. 
And it's sin that's causing me to do what I don't want to do. This sounds like a terrible condition, doesn't it? It is a terrible condition. Aren't you thankful for a new covenant? Verse 18, I'm hurrying to finish. For I know that in me, this is what we have to realize. That is, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will, or the will to do something right, it's present with me. I really do want to do right. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. Can anybody relate to that? I have the right heart. I have a good desire. I want to do the right thing. But I just don't know how to do it. This is exactly what he said. But I want you to notice something in this verse. And why? This has never stood out to me before. Because it's really revealing something. How to perform that which is good. You know what that says? If I'm just trying to do good, I want to do a good performance. I don't mean like a fake performance. I mean, I want to perform well. That's an indicator I'm operating in my flesh. Not serving in newness of spirit. I just want to perform well. Just want to do. That word perform just means to do. I just want to do everything well. Nothing wrong with wanting to. But if I try to do that in my flesh... I find not, and I keep falling and faltering and failing. And it shows, what is the Lord? why does the Lord let me do that? If I want to do good, why does He let me not? Because He's trying to get me to move from operating in my flesh to walking in the newness of His Spirit so that I understand the only way I can do good is if His Spirit dwells in me as operating through my life. And so I become dependent on him and his spirit. Who am I dependent on? I'm dependent on the one I'm married to now. The design of God is that we, his bride, are dependent on him as our husband. So he'll not let us succeed in our flesh. Little side note. I better be careful about judging somebody else in their flesh. Because I often can't see their walk in the Spirit. Verse 19. The good that I want to do, I do not. The evil I don't want to do, that's what I do. He's still talking about the battle with his flesh. Now if I do that that I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. See, he said that earlier too. He's reiterating that point. If I keep doing those things, I've got to acknowledge sin's there. And I've got to have something happen so that sin is purged from my life. I find then law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Verse 22. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Inside, I really do. I delight in the things that God desires and would want. That encourages. Verse 23. But I see another law in my members. And what is it doing? It's warring against the law of my mind. What I want to do and what I do. There's this war in my members. And it's a battle between the, my flesh and the Spirit of God wanting to work through my life. 
And it brings me in captivity to the law of sin that's in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. You can sort of feel that way after reading all that, can't you? Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Now, if the Apostle Paul writing to us stopped there, this would be a pretty downer message. But he said all of that and helped us to understand all of that so that he could show us a way out of all of that. Would you like a way out of all that? It's called a new husband. Married to the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch what he says, verse 25. Who shall deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. So what is he saying? Is he saying, okay, so this is just the way it's going to be for the rest of my life. I'm just going to serve God with my mind and with my flesh. I'm going to serve sin. And that's just the way it's designed. No. If we stop there, that's what we make. And some people do stop right there. That's good. That's the end of that chapter. And we have to know that man put the chapters there. Right? Paul wrote one letter to the Romans. He didn't write it in chapters. Man put chapters and verse numbers there so that we could find stuff. So, But if we stop reading there, some, and some people do, and they'll just grab that verse and quote it and say, Well, you know what? I'm saved by grace. And that's true. But grace is not a license to sin. And so they'll say, well, you know, I do serve the law of God in my mind, but my flesh is sin, but that's why I'm saved by grace. Now, is that the most convoluted thing you've ever heard if I say that? But that's the deception of the enemy that he puts on minds and blinds. So we have to keep reading verse number one of chapter eight. I really am almost done. We need to get this in our spirit. The Lord wants us to have answers. See if I'm living in the flesh and I keep trying to do what I should do and I don't and I fall. And then the things I don't want to do, I do. You know what I deal with all the time? Condemnation. All the time. I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. I can't make it. I, and the enemy just keeps accusing me because I'm walking in my flesh trying to do good. And so I deal with condemnation. But when I am now married to Jesus Christ and I'm no longer living after the law, but I'm now serving in the spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. I'm no longer trying to do and perform to get acceptance and love of God. His Spirit now dwells inside of me. That's the covenant. He's written on my heart the law. And now I love Him because He first loved me, John said. And so I'm able to love Him. That love that He loved me with reciprocates. And even when I fall short, I don't question His love for me. Because I'm accepted by the beloved. And so I don't live my life trying to perform and do good, do good, do good, do good. I live my life in relationship to my first husband, 
the Lord. I live my life in relationship to Him. And because He loves me, I love Him. And because I love Him, I keep His commandments. That's serving in newness of spirit, not in the flesh. You say, oh, so now you just can just kick the law to the curb and you can go steal and cheat. And No, no, no. I love him. So therefore, my motive is no longer rooted. I want to be right. I want to do right. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want. It's now rooted in a relationship with the husband. Does that make sense? This is what he did and what he prophesied through Jeremiah. And we can enter into when we're filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The only way that happens is because of the Lord Jesus Christ died for us to make that way and that entrance in. It broke the law. So we weren't bound to it. Why don't you stand with me tonight? Verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life. Oh, that's a new law. That's one I like. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak. Why was it weak? Because of flesh. We talked about the flesh and the flesh's inability. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Why did he do that? That the righteousness of the law could be fulfilled in us. Oh, not just any us. Us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. What does that mean? When I'm filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost... I'm filled with his spirit. He's written on the fleshy tables of my heart. He's written his law on the inward man. I'm now walking not according to what I, the rules to follow. I'm now in relationship with him. We started this service praying, going talk with him. He's here, fellowship with him. I'm in relationship with him. I'm in communion with him. He's in communion and conversation with me. And so now my actions are to Because of my love for him. And when I'm walking by the spirit, I get ready to go this way. If I'm walking in the flesh, I'm like, eh. But if I'm walking in the spirit and the spirit begins to check me and say, hold on a minute. And I respond to the spirit that dwells in me. I respond to my husband that I'm now married to. I turn and I go where he directs and I'm led by his spirit. And when that happens, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in you and I. I want to walk in the spirit, don't you? It's his design. You and I are not designed to walk in the flesh and fulfill the law. If you deal with condemnation and you're constantly trying to perform. And I know what I'm talking about. I've lived there and wrestled going back and forth there in my life because of trying to please men along the journey. But if I walk in the spirit. I'll fulfill the law. The law will be fulfilled in me. Amen. Why don't you talk to the Lord with me right now? In the name of Jesus, I pray revelation and understanding given by you, almighty God. I pray revelation and understanding of your love toward us. 
your unconditional, everlasting love toward us that draws us to yourself. A love that was so great that you wrapped yourself in flesh, went to a cross so that we could be married to another to deliver us from the law of sin and death. I thank you, Father. I pray revelation and understanding, not in the intellect, but in our spirit, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Not living our lives performing, but living our lives in pure and right relationship with you. Rooted and grounded in the love of God. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. The scripture says that when we're filled with the Holy Ghost, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. When I'm filled with and walking in His Spirit, I'm not questioning His love for me. I'm not doing things to get His acceptance. His Spirit that I'm responding to is constantly affirming His love for me. Amen? You say, if you're here tonight and you're going, man, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, thank God. Our measure becomes... Whether my actions are one out of trying to gain acceptance. The moment my actions become trying to gain acceptance of God, it's an indicator that I'm trying to perform in the flesh. Does that make sense? Because when I'm walking in the Spirit, I know I have to do nothing to gain His acceptance. Now, will I do things that please Him? Yeah, because His Spirit's going to lead me in a way that pleases Him. But when I cross over into trying to perform for God, it becomes the indicator to me, ah, I've stepped to walking in the flesh. Hold on a minute. Amen? Praise God. Glad you came to church tonight. Amen. We're going to baptize Stephanie in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Amen. Sister Julie, I don't know if you want to take Stephanie and get ready. That would be great. And uh, praise God. <coughs> greet somebody. Don't leave, but just take a moment, visit with somebody, greet them. Amen. Encourage one another. <laughs>